0: Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Matthew Pollard. The word sales was derived from the Scandinavian term to serve, And the best way to serve your clients, if your product makes their life better, is to get them out of their own way so they can start the process of making their life better and stop them from going out looking at other vendors that may sell them something that doesn't leave them better off. So if you truly believe in your product or service, you must learn a way to get your customer out of their own way. That is the way I define sales.
1: Hi there and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and wherever you are, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This week I am really excited because we're speaking about a subject that I know a lot about, but often not for the best reasons. This week I'm really excited to welcome Matthew Pollard to the show. Mal- Matthew is the author of The Introvert's Edge to Networking and The Introvert's Edge How The Quiet and Shy that would be this guy can outsell anyone Matthew welcome to the show
0: thanks for having me mate I'm excited to be here
1: so I am so excited I have fluffed my normal intro I have never done that before and I just went I'm
0: glad to hear that
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's really interesting I've I got hold of a copy of the introverts edge how the quiet and shy can outsell anyone wasn't easy to get I'll be honest because I think That book was 2018. You've got a bigger fish to fry right now. But it's a really good book. Glad to hear that. Now, before I get carried away, for the listener who's meeting you for the first time, this is probably the best place to start. Rather than me make a mess of it, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what it is you actually do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think for a lot of people listening, this is important to, to kind of preface with. So yes, I am an introvert and Most people will assume halfway through this that I no longer am. And that's actually not a possible thing to happen, right? If you are an introvert, you draw your energy from being by yourself. And while I come across, hopefully articulate, when I do interviews like this, I speak from stage and I get the opportunity to speak on some of the biggest stages in the world, I am definitely still an introvert. I'm very tired afterwards. It, it drains my energy, but actually I love those things now. So the, the the way I like to spend my life is helping introverts realize they're not second-class citizens. Their path to success is just different. And I choose to focus my time helping introverted service providers obtain rapid growth. And the reason for that is, I mean, my, my background is I fell into sales having no right really being in it after losing my data entry job. And it was just before Christmas in Australia, which is, I mean, we have a summer and Christmas break at the same time. So there's no jobs to be had except for these three jobs that all had the word commission only next to it. Well, I taught myself how to sell watching YouTube videos. And I mean, it was 93 doors before my first sale, but I'd spend eight hours practicing every day, eight hours, then applying what I learned every day. And I would do that day after day after day. And it just became less doors and less doors until soon, well, it was six weeks later, I was taken into my manager's office and I thought I was getting fired because the look on his face was, Oh my gosh, it just looked like something had gone horribly wrong. But what had gone horribly wrong is this person that never really even spoke to anybody. I mean, I, I handed my paperwork in downstairs had just been listed as the number one salesperson in the company, which was the largest sales marketing company in the Southern hemisphere. I mean, they had thousands of salespeople all over the world. And the thing that really came from that is me understanding that sales is a system just like anything else. And so for me, that was liberating. I mean, they automatically promoted me. I don't know why people promote people that can sell like with, I was a terrible manager and I, I I had no idea, but I went back to YouTube to learn how to manage and I got pretty good at it. Like I got promoted seven times in 12 months and fast forward, just shy of a decade, I've been responsible for five multimillion dollar success stories. But I think what's most important is, you know, I went from scared to sell, to teaching hundreds in my organizations how to do it. Now I get the opportunity. I mean, that the book that you you held up, its sold 80,000 copies. It's in 16 languages. It's helped so many introverts to do two things. Uh, one is to believe that they can sell, that as, as a matter of fact, they have an advantage over their extroverted counterparts, not by trying to copy them, of course, but by leaning into their own natural gifts. But more importantly, it's inspired them to actually create a sales process Because without a sales process, we introverts are terrible at selling and it takes way more emotional energy than it
1: should. I just want to pause for a moment because there's a danger that all the extroverts listening might think, oh God, an introvert episode, last thing I need and go off and do something else. They need to understand, yes, you focus on supporting introverts, but- Big companies pay you a lot of money to look after their sales teams, full stop, extroverts and introverts. Everybody is going to really get something out of this episode today, but especially the introverts.
0: Absolutely. I think there's, so here's the interesting thing. Brian Tracy, who is a big extrovert, will tell you the top 10% of all sales performers have a planned presentation. The bottom 80% just say whatever comes out of their mouth. Now think about that because if you go to the global gurus list of top 30 sales professionals, which I'm honored to be on that list. By the way, there are a ton of other introverts on that list as well. So the fact that you think you can't sell if you're an introvert, not true. But there are extroverts. For instance, I was on Jeffrey Gittermore's podcast. He wrote The Little Red Book of Selling. And what was interesting is he usually interviews people for about 20 minutes. We were on there for an hour and 30. And it was just because he kind of lit up about the systematic process. And what he said... Is that he can't teach people how to sell the way he has, he sells. He had to build system and methodology because you can't just say, oh, it's easy, just do this when you're an introvert, because it's not easy and you can't just do that. So, for the extroverts that are listening, sales process will put you in that top 10%, because the bottom 80 just say whatever comes out of their mouth. Of course, the introverts are at the bottom of that list, right? So, the thing that I want people to understand is that what I teach people is sales systemization. And actually, more importantly, especially if you have your own small business, I kind of explain that if you start with sales, you've already kind of lost because there are some other really critical pillars that take a lot of the heavy lifting away from the sales process. But in theory, my process works for both introverts and extroverts. The biggest difference is that introverts, well, let's face it, we get in our own way a lot. And the belief that we can't stops us trying. Like if you think you can't succeed at running a marathon, you don't even you don't train. And what kills me is that there are all these people that don't jump into sales. Now, firstly, if you love copywriting, if you love graphic design, if you love those things, I'm not saying you need to get in sales, but if you want to be in sales, maybe because it's a great opportunity to make great money, even if you're not degree qualified, believing that you can is really important maybe that's why you haven't jumped into it you know I you know I interviewed um Victor Antonio who's an introvert and you know he's on that list of top 30 sales professionals just yesterday and he said he went into sales because he believed that that was the only path for him to earn really good money so that's the direction he went you know I just interviewed him on the introvert search podcast and he had lots of things to say about what makes introverts amazing sales professionals. But a lot of times, people also don't go and start their own businesses because they can't believe they can sell. Or worse, they start their own business. But they then accept subpar performance. They accept struggling every day in this hamster wheel of trying to find clients, trying to set themselves apart, trying to make the sale, getting beaten down on price, or because... They don't know the things outside the scope of their functional skill. They really don't even take that long to create a rapid growth business that they love. And what kills me is so many of them either make very little money and just survive or go back to working for someone else, all because they didn't spend what I would say is hours of practice, yet they've spent years learning their functional skill.
1: I think this is something that you see again and again, people with incredible genius, at, as you described, a functional skill, but they don't have the vehicle for connecting that value with the people who need it out in the world. The ability to close that gap in the the value exchange and something that I experience quite often, and this is particularly the case with my introvert business owners, is selling feels very personal. I think when you're selling something on behalf of a company that you don't own, you're one step removed from that being personal for you. Therefore, the rejection when it comes, it's not you being rejected, it's the company or the product being rejected. So it doesn't land in the heart in the same way. Mm. How do you move people beyond that when it's their business and they are the business?
0: You know, what's really interesting about that point that you made is, and by the way, the reason why you're such a great intro, uh, a great host, and you are, by the way, you're asking very insightful questions, is because you've actually done some planning and preparation. Amazing qualities of introverts, right? And before this interview, you asked me a lot of key questions as well, and you made sure that I understood the plan. These are all naturally introverted characteristics. And a lot of, you know, Mark Hunter, who's another amazing introverted salesperson, he started off as a, as a disc jockey, right? He was into, but he interviewed people and he, he he spoke and it was all planned and prepared. As a matter of fact, he had a chronic stutter growing up, right? So for him, he did that to try and to sidestep it. But going back to, to your point, even a lot of extroverts struggle when they're selling themselves. So there might be a big extrovert selling a product and they feel really comfortable, but then they actually almost are shy because like when somebody says no to their product, when they're selling a product, it's water off a duck's back. But how do you not take rejection personally when they're rejecting you as a service provider? And that's where a lot of extroverts become unstuck as well. And what's funny is I've, I've had a lot of extroverts come to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm introverted when it comes to selling myself. And I'm like, no, you're an extrovert. You're just uncomfortable selling yourself. Because again, it's back to where you draw your energy from. Psychologists have made it way too confusing. But what I would say is that the reason why you're finding it uncomfortable is you're not using your analytical mind. What I mean by that is the way I look at sales is the way Henry Ford would look at producing a motor car. And I think that I'll give you an example like if Henry Ford and had defects off the line, he wouldn't go oh my gosh, I was never meant to build cars. He would say okay, how do we how do we reduce the number of defects? And the thing that's really liberating about that is sales becomes this external process. Now, first thing that you need to understand is you need to treat it like a science experiment for this reason, especially. If you change more than one thing at a time, you don't know what's blowing up in your face. And if you're just winging things, of course, you have to take that personally because they are evaluating you based on your ability to sell and your ability to deliver their product. But usually then what you think they're rejecting is you and your ability to deliver. No, they're actually rejecting your ability to sell because what they're saying is this this pitch wasn't good enough. We're going to talk about the word pitch in a second. But what I do is I say, here is an external process that I use to sell my services. And it has... You know seven steps. So by the way, you don't you don't need to hire me to to learn those seven steps. You know, if you go to the introvertsedge.com, you can download that first chapter for free. And you know, my publisher hates me when I say this. You do not need to buy my book to to, to actually transform your sales. Like you can go there, download the first chapter. First thing I'll help you believe you can sell, because that's the most important piece. And then I'll literally give you the seven steps. If you do nothing more than put what you currently say in to those steps, you'll quickly realize some things don't fit. Throw that out. You shouldn't be saying that to customers. Then you'll realize there's some things out of order and you fix that. Then you'll realize there's some gaping holes, usually around asking questions. And I don't mean just questions in general. I mean the right questions. And then telling stories as opposed to just hitting them with a fire hose of jargon or trying to coach them on the spot, which they didn't ask for. So... Once you do that, you'll easily double your sales. But why is that? There's two reasons. One is doing things in the right order is important. But the second thing is it becomes this process that's external. And by the way, it doesn't need to be my process. Just find a process and don't try and piece together a whole bunch of people's processes. Sales is not like mixed martial arts. And you do not know enough about sales to pick which strategies go together. So you know, even in that book that you held up, which I appreciate you doing that, I say in the first part, in, in the first chapter, there is nothing you're going to learn in my book you can't find in other books. All I've done is put it into a methodical process that works for introverts. And that's authentic to me. But the thing that I, I'm trying to highlight for people is that becomes an external process now. You've got those seven steps. And if you don't, or if you're trying to match different pieces together, it's going to overcomplicate. You'll go back to what I call busy procrastination, which is the busy work you do that's got nothing to do with sales. But what I would suggest to you is have that pieced down system. And once you have that, you now look at it like a scientist and you say, which thing should I change today? Do a few sales calls, go to a few meetings. Okay, did that work? Did it not work? Use the data, not the emotions to judge it. And here's the thing that I love the most. That brain of yours is both a positive and a negative thing. At night, you can ruminate on all the silly things that you did or you can use it as a continuous improvement brain and say which one opportunity for improvement is there. And as soon as that happens, all of a sudden, all your emotional connection to rejection goes away because you're just looking for data points and that's really powerful as long as you don't believe you're selling in the way most people perceive sales and this is the critical point that i want to give you especially if you've got a, like if you've got a product that doesn't help somebody or doesn't offer value please don't listen to the rest of this podcast because i do not want to help you right go sell something else but if you've got a product that actually makes somebody's life better off here's the thing Sales is not used car salesman kind of the, the the reputation it's kind of got. The word sales was derived from the Scandinavian term to serve. And the best way to serve your clients, if your product makes their life better is to get them out of their own way so they can start the process of making their life better and stop them from going out looking at other vendors that may sell them something that doesn't leave them better off. So if you truly believe in your product or service, you must learn a way to get your customer out of their own way. That is the way I define sales.
1: As you were speaking there, I was reminded of something Mike Vardy, productivity ninja said, which is frameworks foster freedom. And most people's sales process, if, if they're not trained or if they're not disciplined is chaos and it's luck and it's winging it. And it's just hoping people will ask them if they could buy something, please. What I'm curious to ask, and I think I'm asking this on behalf of a lot of people. Somebody once said to me, if you want more sales, then you need more conversations. And on the one hand, that sounds perfectly logical, but having conversations is superficially easy. I can go out and have lots of conversations, but crossing the chasm between a conversation to a sales conversation, is a whole different thing. Sales conversations tend to be mutually acknowledged, permission-based. Do you mind if we have a conversation about this thing within your process? How do you help people cross that bridge?
0: So there are a couple of elements there. So first thing is I take real issue with the concept of having more conversations and I- I'm reminded of the digital marketing world as we talk about this. And I'm sure we've all seen ads that say, I can fill your calendar with 60 appointments this week. Just book a call with this number or you know, click on this link. That's horrifying to me. What? Firstly, I don't want to have 60 phone calls this week. But secondly, how bad must your closure rate be? To need 60 calls every week, or how terrible must your product be to lose people for not delivering the product well? And I see agencies do this horrifying to me. Agencies will book 60 phone calls because they need to get this many people to buy, and they're so bad at their closure rate that they get this many people, and they're so busy focused on that that they're outsourcing the delivery or white labeling their delivery to people that deliver it poorly so they're losing clients out the back end and that's supposed to be a, a like a reasonable model and the thing that kills me you know I had a Person that decided to start working with me last last, what? Sorry, it was yesterday or the day before, and he talked about the agency model, and he talked about the fact that he was different, he was hyper local, and he was actually did all the services himself, and he truly cared. I'm like, no, the word agency is dirty. Just by the way, so is sales trainer, so is coach, and we'll we'll talk about that because I want to help you understand that it's also about attracting the right conversations, not just more conversations. But if your closure rate is twenty percent, stop looking for more conversations do one of two things either decide that the conversations you're having are incorrect or decide that the sales process is the problem and the reason why I say that's a decision and this is going to lead us to to two examples and I'm going to give you the first one and then depending on how much time we have we can do the second one but the the reason why I'm saying this is if you're attracting the wrong conversations if they're seeing you as just a serve another service provider as a you know commodity, then of course price is going to be a factor. But then secondly, if they see or you, if if you don't show them the uniqueness, even if you have it, and then secondly, if you've decided that you want to communicate with them or your sales process isn't right, you might think you know I had a client actually the the guy that goes wrote this book with me you know he's he's an example in that book, and the reason for it is because you know, I didn't want to write a book. I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. That's why school was so tough for me. I took a year off to to find myself. And that's how I ended up in data entry. That's how I ended up in, you know, in door-to-door sales. But, you know, he's like, Matt, you need to put this information to a book. And, you know, he kept saying his clients couldn't afford him. And I was like, well, when did you decide that? And he said, well, you know, people were paying me, I, I, I'm i charging $20,000 for a ghostwritten book. And as soon as I mentioned the price, they're, they're nowhere to be found. Like they ghost me. And I'm like, all right, well, help me understand. Like, well, well. Firstly, what did you do next? Well, he put the price on his website. Then no one contacted contacted him, and that confirmed it for him. And then I said, "Well, hang on a second. How are you? How, how are you communicating with your clients?" And he's like, "Well, they send me an email, then I send them an email." I'm like, oh, "What do you think your clients don't like doing?" He's like, well, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "You're a ghostwriter. What do you think your clients don't like doing?" He's like, "Well." I mean, writing, how are you corresponding with these clients again? These ridiculously long emails. I mean, I don't care if he was $20, I wouldn't have paid him. As soon as we fixed that and we fixed his messaging and things like that. I mean, he'd gone from making $27,000 in 2013, 12,000 by October of 2014. To We put his price up to 40,000. He closed two deals within six weeks and a third one by the end of the year. By the following year, he closed just shy of 300,000. And the following year, well, now he charges 130,000 for the ghost written book. Far from 20,000 they couldn't afford, he now charges 130,000. You're recording this with me in July of 2023. He's already booked out until mid next year. So, a lot of times we decide that our customers, that they're the wrong customers incorrectly, but you actually might be right. So, let's cover that as an example. I worked with a client years ago and she was a language coach out of California and she taught kids and adults Mandarin. And, you know, she charged $50 to $80 an hour successfully for like a decade. But the problem she had is a fewfold. One was there were people moving into California from other states of the US and internationally that were moving into California, willing to charge people $30 to $40 an hour for Mandarin education to get their first clients. There were people from China now, thanks to this global economy we live in, saying, oh, look, I'll do it for $12 an hour on Craigslist. And thanks to this new technology out of Silicon Valley, it was like, you know, Bob, I'll teach you Mandarin, you teach me English, we just won't charge anyone anything. So she's competing against free. And she, so she comes to me for sales advice, right? She picked up my book, The Introvert's Edge, and she's like, this book's going to teach me how to, how to sell. And she comes to me and she says, I need advice on how to close more deals. And I said, well, this is a long battle to the bottom. I mean, there's a lot of people that are cheaper and your service, the way you're articulating it, sure, there might be a few things that you do that are better, but it's hard for them to understand it and they're not going to give you the time to understand it. So what I want to do is I want to avoid the battle altogether. So what I did is I looked at all the clients she worked with. And I mean, she worked with hundreds over the, de- over the decade. But what I noticed is there were two people specifically she helped with far more than just language tuition. I mean, these were executives being relocated to China, and the stuff she taught them blew me away. I mean, she taught them the difference in e commerce in China versus the Western world, the importance of respect, like why learning the language isn't enough. You have to reduce your accent, how to handle, how to hold a business card, and why it matters so much. And then, probably the most important was she helped me understand the expectations of a sales conversation, right? Like, here, Bob, if I was trying to sell you something, you know, and I was really bad at sales the way we know it in the Western world, at the end of 45 horrible grueling minutes, I might say something even te- more terrible, like, do you want to move to vol- forward? And you'll say something like, yes, no, or let me think about it. If I reach out a week from now and you still want to think about it, good luck getting that sale, right? I know that my chances are gone. China, they're going to want to see you maybe five or six times before they discuss business. They're probably going to want to see you drunk over karaoke once or twice. It's just who they are. But here's why. They're doing 20, 40-year deals. They want to know the person they're doing business with, the character of that person, right? They're not, I mean, you'll lose the deal if you talk to them about business in the first meeting. So she helped them understand that. And I'm like, look, Wendy, this is so much great information. You're doing so much more for these people than just language tuition. What are you doing? She's like, well, you know, like, just a few things. I'm just trying to help people. And everybody listening to me right now, I promise you, there are things that you're doing that you don't recognize for your clients. Otherwise, no one would sing your praises. No one would pay you a premium. So what you need to do is realize that. And what I said to Wendy is, look, you're stuck in your functional skill. Is it fair to assume as a result of the assistance you're giving these people, they're going to be more successful when they get to China? And she's like, I mean, yeah, that's the point, right? I said, great. Let's call you the China success coach then. Again, about manner in education for a moment, let's create what we ended up calling the China Success Intensive. It was a five-week program that worked with the executive, the spouse, and any children being relocated to China so they could be successful as a family unit. Now, she loved the idea of this, but she's like, well, who do I sell it to? What she's now asking is where do I go for leads? Now, I said, well, what do you think? Now, everybody goes to the easy source. She's like, well, I think the executive. And I'm like, that makes sense. I mean, I was terrified moving from Australia to the US. Imagine going to a place that don't even speak the same language. I just don't think it's your ideal client though. And she said, well, I mean, the company would pay. I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, a lot of companies have got millions of dollars riding on the executive being successful. Still don't think it's your ideal client. Frustrated now, she looks at me, she's like, well, who then? And I said, I think it's the immigration attorney. Now she's looking at me like I'm speaking a different language. So I said, look, here's what I think. Immigration attorneys get paid five to $7,000 for doing a visa. All the bureaucracy that comes with that, they got staff to pay, they got rent to pay, they got to get a customer, which a lot of times costs money. I said, I reckon if they charge five to seven, they'd be lucky to make $3,000 for a successful visa. I said, so just offer them $3,000 as a commission check for any successful introduction. They love the idea. They're like, double my commission for, like double my revenue for a simple introduction. What have I got to say? So they met with their clients and when they handed their visa, they would just say, I just want to make sure you're as ready as possible to be relocated. And the executive would always respond with something like, I think so. I mean, we've got our place sorted. We've got a visa now. Thank you. We're learning the language. Pretty, kids are getting pretty good at it too. I, I think we're set. And they would just respond with these words. There's a lot more to it than that. I think you need to speak to the China success coach. Wendy would then get on the phone with the easiest sale in the world. These people were terrified to go. The organization was motivated to pay. Think about how good a salesperson she had to be then, right? She charged $30,000 for doing this minus a $3,000 commission check. She made $27,000 for the easiest sale in the world. That's the power of what I call a differentiated message, right? For her, she had to look at what she did outside the scope of her functional skill you know, the e-commerce, the respect, the the rapport, and then say, what is the high level benefit of that, which is China success. For me, I mean, I'm a business coach. I'm a branding expert. I'm a social media strategist. The only thing I can promise you is nobody cares. They don't care how hard it was for me to learn these things or how long I spent learning them. But when I say I'm the rapid growth guy and I work, ex- I specialize with helping introverted service providers obtain rapid growth in their business, the simplicity in that message gets me heard in the crowd of marketplace. And it means that when people come to me, they see me as a category of one. They see Wendy as a category of one, which means they're not negotiating price with me. They're not even comparing me with somebody else. They want the rapid growth guy. And that's what I want for everybody listening.
1: I think what you described there beautifully is most people don't really appreciate their own value and to whom it's most valuable. Absolutely. It takes a little bit of internal work to, to really understand what's possible. It requires a bit of internal and external storytelling. But once you've got that locked in, you are then much more valuable. I think listening to that as well, you paint a very powerful picture of the the strategic partner. I think a lot of people, I was going to ask you about prospecting and I'm aware of the time and I'm not going to do this, but I think a lot of people, they leave opportunity to chance. Opportunity doesn't happen by accident. There are only four routes. There's ads, there's content, content marketing and inbound leads, and there's outbound knocking on doors. And then there's relationships. And we've kind of spoken about all of those a little bit today, but I think most people who are successful in selling anything will always tell me, yeah, I do all of those. But the thing that always moves the needle is the relationship. And you've got the book behind you, but a lot of people will always go out looking for the one customer rather than who's the one person who already has all the customers who doesn't do what I do. And how can I be more valuable to them? Because business is a value exchange. It's not just the end sale, but it's every step along the way. How can you be valuable? And I think you painted a fantastic picture of that.
0: Well, I think what's important about that, and I appreciate you saying that, I I think there there are a couple of important things there. So one is you spend so long studying to be the functional skill if you have to go to get a degree for that. Then you spend many years practicing the art of it. So you want to fit in that category you know derek wanted to call himself a ghostwriter we called him the authority architect and we f- focused him on a niche of highly complex business people that needed to write highly complex books to make them you know simple enough to read and enjoyable to read so more than just you know their mother-in-law read them so the thinking about that differently is is really really important but here's what i find most people don't appreciate the things that are outside their scope of their functional skill because they're naturally, a lot of them have these as natural gifts or to them that that's just good customer service or that's, you know, cause they always have their customers say, you know what is it that you love about working with me? Or, you know, they'll say, oh, you just such, you provide such great customer service or you're just really knowledgeable you need to ask them how specifically, right? Appreciate them saying it and then say, how specifically do you think I'm not knowledgeable? How specifically do you appreciate my customer service? And you'll realize there's actually some deeper answers there. And because if there wasn't, if you charge a little bit more than the average, they recognize that every time they pay the, your bill, they still decide to work with you. If they're at an event and somebody asks them, oh, I'm looking for a copywriter, who would you recommend? They sing your praises because they had a great experience. If you ask them to write a few words as a testimonial and they write your paragraph, it's not because you do the standards. So you have to recognize that. And usually- You're the worst person to ask about what those things are. And secondly, so is anyone else. Like if you're a coach, you shouldn't ask another coach what your key skills are because they also love the rule book of coaching. So what I would recommend people do, and actually, you know what? I've got a template. You can go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth. And there, there's a five-step template that you can work through to create your unified message and discover your niche of willing to buy clients. Now, do not do this alone. Like, get somebody else to listen to this podcast episode that you know. Again, if you're a business coach, go ask a florist friend or an attorney friend of yours. Don't do it with another business coach. But what I want you to do is do this template and spend an hour on them and get them to spend an hour on you. You know, I did this at the National Freelance Conference, nearly 200 people in the room. And at the end, I said, look, do me a favor, put your hand up if you now believe you've got, you know, a unified message that will excite and inspire people to want to know more. You know, your, your, your group of, you know, people that pay you what you're worth. Like, 97% of the room put their hands up. Now, keep your hand up if you also think you've identified that niche of people that are just going to see you as the only logical choice. 97% of the room kept their hands up. And I said, now, one more question. Keep your hand up if this is the most time you spent actively working on your marketing since you started your business. Now, I said the word actively because they might have listened to a podcast like this, but they didn't take action. They went, oh, that sounds nice. I'll do it one day. of the room kept their hands up. The whole session was 90 minutes long. So if you go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth, download that template and do that with somebody, call someone, get them to listen to this podcast, block out two hours, you'll be miles ahead of where you are. Now, going into that partner statement that you highlighted, it's actually incredibly important that you learn how to communicate with partners. Like in in my, my new book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking, I talk to people about three types of relationships. You have transactional relationships and people think when they go to networking events, that's the group they're trying to get, right? I'm trying to get a deal in the room. Yeah. That's a ticket to staying in the hamster wheel, right? While they're nice, if they happen, and you should never try and sell them in the room, it's actually the other two groups that are the most important. And, those two groups, the group of what I call momentum partners. These are the people that you see value in what they do. They see value in what you do. You're not competitors with each other, but you offer complimentary services, or you just really believe in each other's stuff and you're willing to share it. These are the kind of people that will introduce you to be on podcasts. They'll see a client that you might be a good fit for, and they'll introduce you. They'll you know invite you to um, for into an association they're speaking at. All of those things and make perfect momentum partners. Now, you would be doing the same for them as well. Not because, is there's checks and balances and you have to do There's a certain arrangement because you believe in their stuff, like they believe in yours. And it doesn't need to be equal because you care about what they do and you believe that it's important. Then you've got these, what I call groups of champions. Champions are the people that, gosh, if they ask you to take out their laundry, you would do that for them because these are the high level influencers that would do that. They believe in you enough to introduce you and open doors that you just can't. Like Ivan Meisner, the founder of the world's largest networking group, BNI, is one of my champions. You know, Ryan Dice, the founder of Digital Marketing, one of my champions. Strong introverts, believe in my stuff, introduce me to a bunch of people, right? So I've got a whole list of those and my business Moves forward, my rates move forward, my ability to get clients move forward because of these momentum partners getting me on podcasts, these champions giving my work credibility. That is the key out of the hamster wheel. And most people get it wrong, but you don't attract people in a networking room or online if you have such a bland, vanilla message that d- doesn't work. You know, I always say, like, if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest, right? And that's why you have all these loud people in networking events. And that's why you've got people posting online every 10 seconds. Gosh, they're taking a photo of their dog or their donut for something to say. It's horrible. But if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest. So I focus on being the clearest in the networking room. And then I focus on utilizing being the clearest and using automation, which means I don't have to work so hard and I don't do anything. Like, I don't I remember the last time I was on social media, but I drive tons of people from social media to me every day. And here's the key you need to learn to articulate what you do in a paradigm of passion and mission, not functional skill. I'll give you an example. When somebody meets you, normally when somebody asks you what you do, you might say something horrible like, oh, I'm a sales and marketing coach that works with small business owners. Maybe you listen to me and you went super niche, like I'm a small business coach and I work with introverted service providers. The response you're going to get, they either hear the word sales and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I don't want, I don't want to be in sales." You know, they I, I, I look at you like you're one step above a scam artist. It's horrific. On the other hand, I say I'm in marketing and go, "Oh, I did marketing. How much do you cost?" Well, now I'm talking price. I just met them. We're in a networking room. Horrific. Alternatively, they say, "Oh, I'm already in mark. I, I've already got somebody that helps me with marketing, and now I've got to be like, oh, I've got magic ruby slippers. I'm different. Yuck." what I do is different. When somebody asks me, firstly, I'm interested before I'm interesting because I want to give value before I try to get value, right? But the second thing is that when somebody asks me what I do, I respond with just this. Oh, thanks for asking. I'm the rapid growth guy. Like they should know what that is. Like I just said, I'm an accountant. And when they respond with, oh, what exactly is that? I say, One of the things I love to see more than anything in the world is an amazing introverted service provider with enough talent, skill, and belief in themselves to go and start a business of their own. But what I find is more often than not, they get stuck in this endless hamster wheel of struggling to find interested people, trying to set themselves apart, trying to make the sale really feeling like people only care about one thing, price. Do you know anyone like that? Now, of course they do, right? Especially if I've done my homework, I'm an introvert and I plan who I'm going to speak to at a networking event, which you can also do, and which networking event to go to. So they'll respond in the affirmative and then I'll say, well, I'm on a mission to help these introverted people realize that they're not second-class citizens. Their path to success is just different. But success for them really means focusing on three things outside the scope of their functional skill, which they're usually amazing at. And that's what allows them to create a rapid growth business that revolves around them, their family, and their life, not the other way around. Actually, you know what? Let me give you an example. Then I might tell a story. Think about the difference there. I talk about passion, I talk about mission, my want to help, my want to serve, not hey, here's what I do, here's what I sell. Do you want to buy from me because I'm trying to buy a new car and you know getting you as a client would be really helpful. One is about service, one is about trying to sell, and one attracts momentum partners and champions, the other one repels
1: them. Good grief. You just keep spitting them out. Honestly, I've been I'm I'm going to I'm going to decline your story because I know what the time is and I know what what time we need to finish. And honestly, I have never made as many notes as I have today. I have rarely left a podcast interview with as many action points. So I need to cool down here. This is just really intense. (laughs) I've had so much fun. Just listening to you is really inspiring. It's really motivating. I really hope the people listening at home, on the bus, on the train, walking up a hill, wherever you are, I hope you feel like you can do something new now, that like you can see the road open up in front of you, which maybe wasn't there before. Matthew, this has been so much fun and a lot of value. I've been very quiet, which is fine. It's not about me. It's all about you. But I really hope people will go and download the first chapter of your book. If people want to connect with you, if they want to go deeper with you, how would you like them to do that?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I So firstly, I will tell people, and I just want to remind people, I am an introvert what you're experiencing is a huge amount of practice and preparation and 150 interviews prior. And that is why I can keep delivering over and over. Most people can't do that because they don't practice if they're introverted. And an extrovert will struggle to stay on topic. Now, let's not to say they can't learn to do that, but they it requires a different skill set. And I don't see any of this as disadvantages. We just have skills gaps. But what I would highly recommend... I mean, sure, you can go to my website, matthewpollard.com. You can check out the Introverts Edge podcast. And if you're a business coach, you can check out the Better Business Coach podcast. But for those people, like, keep it simple, right? We always go and gravitate to a thousand things. Go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth create your unified message and discover your niche you're willing to buy clients. Then go to the introvertsedge.com download the first chapter. Again, you don't have to buy the book, believe that you can sell and build a basic system based on just the chapter headings and the framework that I give you in the first chapter that will transform your business. That is where I would start if you're just hearing about me today.
1: And Matthew, what's one thing that you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago?
0: Well, I would say, well, it's funny. There's two answers I have for this. The first one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna break your rule and tell you one thing I do now that I wish I did 10 years ago, and that is because, funnily enough, I never used to. I th- I used to think online marketing was kind of a bit of a joke, and the reason for that is I was an introverted guy that learned how to sell, and I took a lot of my identity and pride in the fact that I learned how to sell. So I assumed everybody that was doing digital marketing was just people that were too scared to pick up the phone, and I clearly wasn't scared anymore. Pride except for the fact I was just deluding myself, right? So, you know, for me, the first time I went on a podcast and I shared the story of Wendy, my email list exploded. And then I I started realizing that these people listen to these podcasts over and over again. And I could use social media on autopilot. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do that. And with the right strategy, you really can get people to chase you from all over the world. What I wish I did five years ago would be speaking from stage in a different way. I was telling you beforehand and I I, I never really wanted to speak from stage. It was just a great way to get clients originally. And so I always knew I had great content or amazing content, but I just thought I was a good speaker. And then because of COVID, I had to, I I did virtual and I became much more emotive and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish that I did that more effective. I, I, I had have done that from day one. Like I always practiced on preparing what I was going to say but I never focused on practicing the way my face should look, the way way I would hold myself. And when you think about other people that read scripts, and I'm not talking sales here, by the way, I'm talking actors, right? Leonardo DiCaprio, believe it or not, when he delivers these amazing portrayals, he's an introvert delivering amazing scripts, right? And what he's done is he's practiced the word choice, the tonality, the gesturing, the facial expressions, and when I started to speak from stage, I realized that that is something, when I got to virtual, that I'd not done. And in sales, that wasn't necessary. But one, there's a big difference between one-to-one to one-to-many. And I'm so glad and so horrified that I didn't do that sooner.
1: I, I absolutely echo that. I, business career prior to online, I was really good at selling. I was really, really good at it because I loved what I did. But online for me, like you, I thought that was just something for Get Rich Quick schemers and YouTubers who just wanted to get rich off monetization, not realizing the honest potential of a global audience, which is wonderful because the nice thing with online is by the time people get to you, they've already decided if they like you or not. And what do we know about sales? People do business with people they like, know and trust. Isn't it nice if that happens before they get to you? I certainly think so. Matthew. You've been great fun. I'm really grateful for your time. I hope you will come back another time and we can maybe just talk networking. But for now, thank you so much.
0: Mate, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for having me.